Welcome to the Totally Pinball Podcast, Episode 9. You guys are looking fine. Yeah, no intro this time. It's a bit of an announcement podcast. There's going to be some format changes on this channel. As you may have noticed, I have switched more to YouTube, so my podcasts are going to be a recap or basically the clips of the YouTube in a podcast format. So if you've watched all my YouTube videos, this is mostly going to be the same thing, just kind of spliced together. If you don't catch every YouTube video or you weren't aware of my YouTube channel, this is a way to kind of catch up on the news and skits I've done over the past month or so. Some exciting news is you may have noticed the rebranding on the podcast page. It is now rebranded as the Totally Pinball Network. That's because there's going to be a secondary podcast hopefully coming soon. This new podcast is going to be more like the other traditional podcasts you see out there. Less about the humor and more about just three guys kind of hanging out. It's going to be a three-person show. So look for the Tri-Ball Pinball Podcast sometime in May. Well, that's about all I've got to say. So without further ado, Johnny, roll the clip. Tonight, I welcome Gary Stern, Eugene Jarvis, and Joe Kamenkow. Musical guests, the Rock of Fire Explosion. And now it's time for the Johnny Pinball Show. Hey everyone, it's Johnny Pinball. Thank you, thank you for joining me tonight. It is a great evening, and you guys are a great audience there in YouTube land. So it's been a while since our last episode. What do you think? A lot of news, a lot of drama. We've got lots to report on today. You know what they say, if it bleeds, it leads. So let's start tonight with the super awesome pinball show going off the airwaves. On the Poor Man's Pinball Network, Christopher Franchi's last interview with Orbital Albert. Citing the lack of recognition and the lack of appreciation, he's decided to hang up the microphone for good this time. I made a tribute video for the Super Awesome Pinball Show, and it looks like Christopher Franchi picked up on it and posted it on the Facebook page. If you haven't seen it already, go ahead and check it out. But I know what you're thinking. You're wondering, why did he quit? Why would he leave? He's a distinguished person in the hobby, yet he decided to call it quits? Let's sneak into Orbital Albert's podcast and find out why Christopher Franchi decided to hang it up. Partially the same reason why I quit, uh, why we quit the uh, the podcast. Okay. Was I always told people, you know, all the other podcasts were always like, why don't you charge for your podcast? You put so much work into it. Why don't you charge for it? Christopher Canada would always tell me because he didn't want to be the only one because um, you look like a dick if you're the only one. So he's he's trying to talk me into it. I could see through it. You know, I know what he's getting at. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he doesn't want to look like a dick, so he's trying to pull me in. And I always said, I'm not I'm not charging. You know, this is my way of giving back. The people who listen to the show are the people who have given me a career. And this is my way of giving back. But the problem is, is, is that it wasn't appreciated for, for that. It wasn't appreciated for what it was. And then every time they give out a Twippy Award, it went to the guy who didn't research anything. He didn't go and find out for himself by like putting on a trench coat and a mafia hat and hiding in the bushes at Stern. Basically, people <laughs> who didn't want to be an asshole and spoil a title would 
find out some nugget of information, pass it on to him, and then he would just take it and pass it on to you. He was like a middleman. And somehow that's what deserves to get a pinball favorite podcast trophy every year is, is that particular setup. I just don't really want to be a, a public figure in pinball anymore. It's that it doesn't appeal to me. The, the, the art is, is why I'm here. That's what I want to focus on. Yeah, Chris is a little upset he didn't win a Twippy for the Super Awesome Pinball Show, but I want to remind the listeners here that he did win for Best Art in 2019, so he has won a Twippy Award. His show was the most polished, always having interviews and always having fun bumpers and sound effects. He even stated during the interview that his goal this year was to win the Twippy Award, working extra hard to get the best interviews and provide the most relevant news content. Unfortunately, the cards were stacked against his favor with Kaneda winning for a sixth year in a row and the pinball show moving up a spot to second place, leaving Super Awesome to finish third in the 2022 Twippy Awards. I'd argue while the show very well produced is not what the people wanted, the people want news when it hits, not a month later, and the people want rumors. It's frustrating being in the hobby and not being part of the circle that knows all the secrets, and Kaneda is one who will share the secrets. I think that's why Kaneda is so successful even behind the Patreon paywall and why Rumor Corner is such a popular segment on EGP. But Chris does bring up a valid point with all this Patreon bullshit we're seeing. Every podcast now has a Patreon account, and the pinball show is kind of taking it to the next level with very expensive tiers. Let's take a look at the content creators and what they're charging to get their exclusive content. Kaneda, with 606 patrons, $5 a month gets you access to his pinball podcast, six-time Twippy winning not a bad value for what you get. It's the only way to listen to Canada, so it kind of makes sense he has so many patrons. This Week in Pinball's number two, surprising that this one still gets donations. A dollar a month will get you on the TWIP podcast supporters list. Not sure if there's anything else anymore. I know they used to give you secrets and rumors if you had a higher tier. Bowen Karens for his pinball tutorials, 119 patrons. Does he even do tutorials anymore? Do people forget it's still on auto renew? Not really sure. Pindigo with 66 patrons. It's a high score pinball app for pinball players. I've never used it before. Pinball Map with 59 patrons. Now this is something I use all the time. For just $2 a month, you can help support this awesome website. Eclectic Gamers Podcast. $1 gets you in the club and you get to see the baby's first of the month by Dennis Creasel. I'm a member of this one. I think it's worth a buck. Carrie Hardy. $2 gets you in the credits and $5 gets you exclusive content, such as videos that get taken down. He's pretty successful with around 50 patrons. The Pinball Show. 38 patrons. This is the controversial one. Starting at $10 a month, all the way up to $100 a month. Just leaves a bad taste in your mouth knowing that you're giving a millionaire more money. And I'm talking about Zach Mini because his house, if you go on Zillow, is valued at over $1 million. If you're a Dennis Creasel fan like me, you can skip this one and just support the EGP podcast. The tiers include a private Discord server, special friendship fees, and a polo shirt. Before the dollar amount was hidden, it was showing over $300 already pledged. Triple Drain. Tom, Joel, and Travis. For $3 a month, you can get a thank you from them. No perceived benefits for joining this one. Silverball Chronicles, 23 patrons. $3 a month is a way to say thanks. $6 a month gets you access to the show early and a sticker. And if you're feeling generous, $20 a month will get you a t-shirt. Might be the only way to support Ron Hallett. Deadflip, Jack Danger's Patreon. Currently 18 patrons. Just a dollar a month is all it takes to be a supporter. $10 gets your initials to high scores achieved on the show. I suspect this one is losing popularity now that Jack is an official Stern employee. Backbox Pinball Podcast. $5 helps keep the lights on, 
and $25 gets you a personal segment as a special guest. Note, this segment will be edited at our discretion for content and length. Let's move on to something interesting. The AAMA Hall of Fame inductees. The AAMA welcomes Gary Stern, Eugene Jarvis, and Joe Kamenkow into their Hall of Fame for 2023. That puts these three gentlemen right up there with these fabulous products. The Warlitzer Jukebox, Donkey Kong Arcade by Nintendo, Space Invaders Arcade by Taito, Pac-Man by Namco, Skee-Ball of Baytech, and the world-famous Touchtones Jukebox. Congratulations, Arcade Equipment. You guys are making people money. GTF. Galactic Tank Force back in the news and not for good reasons. People are still having problems with the air balls. Distributors allegedly unable to contact David Fix. No one knows where David Fix is. Maybe he ran away. Maybe he's in the tank right now, in space, fighting Empress Anoya. We don't know. We haven't seen him. Last time we saw David Fix was what? The Midwest Gaming Classic? It's been a couple weeks. We need to get Jack Sweeney on the job and create a Find Fix app. Kerry Hardy recently uploaded some more point of views and impressions on Galactic Tank Force, and I'm going to mostly agree with him. He kind of debunked how he was framing that 3D printed as a super zoomed in item when he got it just off the American Pinball's website or Facebook page. He also noticed the ducking in the audio when there's a speech, the background audio stops. I noticed that too when I was playing, and how some of the sound effects in the game are just not balanced quite right. If I were to add to that, it's the spinner. The spinner is much louder than everything else in the game, and that's kind of that grating sound you hear, making the speakers just clip. Now, he wasn't really impressed with the game or the layout, not thinking it was very fun. That's where I differ with him. I do think it's a pretty fun game. It's just a game where you have to think about what you shoot. You can't just flail. So it doesn't have the flow. I agree. It is a very stop-and-go game. So if that's not your jam, this game isn't for you. But combined with the curiosity that this game is different, it's so different from a Stern. It's not formulaic. It's like if some kids decided to make a game in a garage, but those kids were 60-year-old men. Now it's been two weeks since I played GTF, and I have an itch to play some more of it, more in a controlled environment. I'd like to play it on location. So let's see if I can find this game in Wisconsin. All right, just searching here, Wisconsin pinball map. Okay, what do we got here? All right, games. Let's go to games. So we got machine. Let's go Galactic G... Uh, Game of Thrones, Ghostbusters, Gilligan's, Gladiators, Godzilla, Goldwings, Goldball, Granada, Guardians, Gulfstream, Guns N' Roses. That's it. Nope. No Galactic Tank Force. And we're so close to Illinois where these games are made. So I think that's a problem, David Fix. Why aren't these games on location yet? If you want to sell this game, I want to be able to play it. This is an original theme. I don't have any connection to it. This is not Back to the Future. You know, just for fun. Are there any Foo Fighters on location in Wisconsin? Let's see here. Foo. Oh, look at that. Yes, Foo Fighters. Let's see how many we got. Ten locations have Foo Fighters. So Stern is killing it. American Pinball has none. And let's even see Jersey Jack. You know, the expensive, oh, I'm an elite person who uses Grey Poupon type of person buys the Godfather. Let's see if even those are en route. Godfather. There it is. Four Godfathers on location. Looks like they're all in the Milwaukee Madison area. So there you go, guys. Of the new games, we got Foo Fighters out. We got Godfathers out. We don't have any GTFs out. And I don't expect to see Pulp Fiction yet because we know that's not made yet. And I'm not going to see Queen here. And I'm definitely not going to see Final Resistance. 
or any multimorphic game. But I bet I bet there's some Scooby-Doo's. Let's check on Scooby-Doo. All right, there we go. We got one on the list. And we got three Scooby-Doo's on location as well. So Spooky, I mean, I'm going to give them some credit, but not all credit because they are based in Wisconsin. It'd be a shame if there weren't any on location here. Before we get to our musical guest, let's take a look at last week's poll I posted in the community tab here. If Stern were to make Back to the Future, who should design it? Keith Elwin, 52%. So half of you think Keith Elwin, you know, the modern day goat should design the game. And that's if I could vote, that's what I would vote for as well. Um, then interesting that it went Jack Danger. He only has one game under his belt, two if you count the home pin. I don't think I would give him the keys to that type of uh, property yet, but, you know, that's just Johnny's opinion. Brian Eddy and John Borg. Looks like, you know, Brian Eddy edges out John Borg. He does have a lot, you know, fewer games than John Borg, so less to criticize. You know, both, you know, all four of these guys would make a good game, I'm sure. None, none of those are going to let it down, but Keith Ellen, yeah, five for five, right? Let's circle back to Brian Eddy. He got just a few more percentage of the vote over John Borg. And let's take a look at Brian Eddy's past games here that he's released in a little greater detail. It's kind of been a slow pinball week, so I've been thinking what's relevant in today's world. So I thought we'd go over a subject near and dear to my heart, Star Wars The Mandalorian. If you're watching it on Disney+, Plus, we are halfway through Season 3, and it got me thinking about Star Wars The Pinball Machine. Brian Eddy's latest game with the great Randy Martinez on art. I thought today would be fun to go over Brian Eddy's five games and see how they stack up. Starting from The Shadow all the way to the present day, Mandalorian. Let's start with Brian's first game, The Shadow from 1994. It's a three flipper game. No plastic ramps on this. It has an upper playfield and two diverters that are user controlled. The art is pretty good on this game. The theme... I haven't seen the movie, so I think the theme is a little weak. That might be preventing it from being up there with the pin side top 10 games. Overall, I think the audio package and voice callouts sound good. And I think the gameplay is excellent on this game. It has a lot of flow and dare I say his flowiest game. All right, let's hop over here to the ranker. Where would we put the shadow on our ranking list? I think I'm going to put it on the A tier here, not quite S tier. But it's, it's a very good game. All right, let's move on to the second game, Attack from Mars. Some would say the perfect theme for pinball, often imitated but never replicated. This game is a two-flipper game, fan layout, sci-fi theme. I think Galactic Tank Force takes a lot of inspiration from Attack from Mars, and for good reason, it is an excellent game. You shoot up the middle to bash the spaceship and destroy the alien invaders. The art again is excellent on Attack from Mars, and the theme is even better than The Shadow. Audio and callouts are superb. There's a reason this game is constantly rated in the top five games of all times. You ask any pinhead to name their top five games, and I guarantee you Attack from Mars will be in there. And what's not the like with Tim Kitzrow on callouts? Okay, so where are we going to put Attack from Mars on our ranking? I think it has to be S tier. I'm going to put that right at the top above Shadow. And I think most of you would agree with that. It is almost the perfect game. That brings us to Medieval Madness. Ye old Royal Edition. Well, probably not the Royal Edition. The follow-up to Attack from Mars. Another two-flipper game by Brian Eddy. And at first glance, this playfield seems to have more in it than Attack from Mars. But does it make the gameplay better? It consistently 
ranks above Attack from Mars, but I don't know. I haven't had a chance to play this one as much as Attack from Mars. This remake was more limited than the Attack from Mars remake that you see often on location. But we have the castle with arguably the best mech, the drawbridge in pinball. Then there's the catapult mech. And who cannot like the callouts from the Merlin shot? Super Jets! Double Super Jackpot! <laughs> so callout wise, I'm going to rank this higher than Medieval Madness. Oh, and of course, I almost forgot the trolls that pop up from the ground. There is a lot in this game. Probably his most packed game when you think of the mechanisms in it. But does it equate to the best game he's ever made? I don't know. Do I want to put this ahead from Attack from Mars? My heart says yes, but my play gameplay says no. Am I wrong? It's hard to say. Let's go ahead and make a decision, though. Let's hop back over to the ranker. And I think I gotta put it just as an A tier. Something about Attack from Mars just connects a little bit more. It's ever so close. Now, if we could divide up the A tier into two, I'd put Medieval Madness before the Shadow. What do you guys think? Did I make the wrong decision here? How would you rank his games? Would you put... Attack from Mars or Medieval Madness first. Or maybe, hey, maybe it's one of the other two is going to be your first choice. After Medieval Madness, Brian took a short break from pinball for about 22 years. And then he was back again like a Steel Panther with Stranger Things. Stranger Things has a lot of innovation for a stern game. They let him try something different. On the Premium and LE, there is a projector mounted underneath the apron. That would project onto certain surfaces of the playfield showing clips from the movie or little cool animations. In practice, this only really worked in a very dark room, did not show well in a brightly lit room. As you can imagine, it's a projector after all. And then he added the telekinesis ball lock with a magnet on the backboard, which had the balls just kind of slapped right onto the backboard of the game. That was pretty cool too. But in practice, you never really saw that work too often because initially it had some issues. Pictured here is the pro game, the one you see pretty much everywhere on location, which has the exact same playfield layout, just minus the projector and the telekinesis ball lock. Still has the Demogorgon Bash Choi. Still a two-flipper game. The layout is similar to Attack from Mars, but not exactly the same. And you'll notice the use of plastic ramps here over metal ramps. Now, this game got a lot of hate when it first released because the code was very poor. I remember thinking this game just was lacking something to make it the magical. So like Medieval Madness, Attack from Mars, they had the layout, they had the art, and they had the sound effects and music. Where I think Stranger Things here has the theme, it has a decent layout. I do appreciate the drop targets underneath the Demogorgon. But it definitely didn't have the sound effects or music. And in 2019 fashion, it didn't have the LCD effects either. It was... It wasn't like the vintage 1980s feel like the show had. It had more of like a vaporwave feel to it than actual 1980s. If you look at the color palette here, there's a lot of pinks and purples and blues. In the 1980s, there was a lot of brown everywhere. So it doesn't quite match up. It's like what today's kids think the 1980s was is kind of how they made this game. Now, here we are three years after release, and I think the game has turned out fine now. Just not quite to the same level as Attack from Mars Medieval Madness or The Shadow for me. I think the one feature that ropes me into liking this game maybe more than some other games is the UV light kit, which wasn't standard, mind you. You had to pay extra for that. But playing the game with the UV kit ties the theme together perfectly. 
that's what seals the deal for me on this pin. Otherwise, I don't think I would rank it as high as I'm about to rank it. So let's head over to the ranker page and I'm gonna put Stranger Things as a B tier game. And that goes for either pro or premium because they both have the same layout and the projector is not necessary to enjoy the game. Well, that leaves us with good old Mando as our last one. Here we are with the Mandalorian premium game. Brian Eddy's latest game at Stern Pinball. Now this game should be perfect, right? It's the perfect theme and I've played a lot of it. It's got the perfect sound effects and callouts. They got Carl Weathers in here. But is it the perfect game? And sadly, no, this game just doesn't do it for me. It's like the sum of its parts don't equal what it should. But let's start with what it has. I would call this a two flipper game because the extra two flippers are confined to just the helmet playfield. You've got metal and plastic ramps in this one. I guess uh, metal returns in the crisscross uh, pattern. Now, this game does omit shots if you are go with the pro. So it's not like getting the whole game. You miss out on the two flipper helmet and you miss out on a 180 shot on the right. You also get the metal returns on the premium game, along with a magnet by Grogu. Yes, Grogu's in this game, but he's just a static figure. At least the pro owners get the static figure Grogu, otherwise they don't really get much. Plus there is the molded razor crest, which looks awesome. But the whole Grogu part of the game just doesn't do much. It's just a standard John Borg magnet in a Brian Eddy game, a magnet that throws the ball down one of the child lanes. The way this game plays, it's all about shooting up the center, and the center shot's pretty easy in this game. So it's okay of a game. I think it's Brian Eddy's weakest game to date, but it's my favorite theme of the three licensed theme of Shadow, Stranger Things, and Mandalorian. This I would rank as the best theme he's had so far, but probably the worst execution of a game. The mini playfield is what disappointed me the most. I was going into this game thinking it would be like Swords of Fury where you could kind of control the ball. Since the flippers and their power and the targets are so close, they're not drop targets. It's just hard. It's chaos. It's hard to control the game. You need to have a very loose tilt to play this game effectively. Well, we might as well make it official. Let's head on over to the rankers here. And I'm going to have to put old Mandalorian as just a C tier here. Ah, oh, sorry, Mando. Just like your latest episode here in season three is kind of like, what was going on when you designed this game? I mean, the art is phenomenal. I met Randy Martinez when he was at the Midwest Gaming Classic last year. Talked to him about his art. That guy knows his stuff, but he's also very expensive. I tried as a courtesy to buy one of his posters at his booth, but he didn't have anything less than $100. I was like, ugh, too rich for my blood. So my ranking goes as follows. Attack from Mars, number one. Medieval Madness, number two. Shadow, number three. Stranger Things, number four. And The Mandalorian as number five. But what do you, the audience, think? Well, I can give you a clue. I have the pin side ratings here. So if you are the pin side, this is what you thought. You guys would have put Medieval Madness as number one with Attack from Mars number two. And in number three, they think it's the Mandalorian. I mean, you guys love the Mandalorian. You ranked it number three. All these rankings, I pulled the originals. And then for the newer games, I did the premium rankings. Number four went to Stranger Things. And then number five was The Shadow. So Pinside and Johnny Pinball don't agree. Speaking of not agreeing, let's move on to Chicago Gaming Company, 
Butch Peel was on the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast and had some interesting insight into maybe their next remake games or not. Are we going to be seeing more titles that are drifting away from remakes? Are you still going to be making remakes? Can you can you talk to any of that? No, we're still we're still in the remake business. We, we I believe we'll be able to remake some of the remakes again in the future. You know, run another Medieval Madness and Attack from Mars and Monster Bash. I think we're still able to do that um, contractually. Uh, it's a, you know, the, the con- contracts up for renewal, we can do some certain things. They're, they're, they're in the negotiations with that. That's a Doug Duba question. And, and I know they're, they're involved. I know that there's remakes we want to do. We, I, I personally am trying to talk Doug into more. And I, I think there's a lot of great games out there that, that mm-hmm. people would love and that he, he's, he's seeing as not, as not that uh, feasible or not that sellable. I think a lot of those games and those those remakes era will work. Whoa, that was heavy. Kind of a lot to digest there. He's saying their license is up for renewal to remake Monster Bash, Medieval Madness, and Attack from Mars. And Doug Duba thinks other games might not be feasible? I'm going to have to side with Butch on this one. I think there are a lot of other games that are feasible to remake. We know there's almost infinite demand for Attack from Mars and Medieval Madness. So they could keep remaking those until the world ends and probably sell a few hundred to a few thousand a year. Now, expanding their lineup past Cactus Canyon with remakes still makes sense for me. And I'm, I'm not sure why Doug would think that there's no business for that. I mean, Haggis is remaking Fathom and their whole business model so far is just remaking these old games. And they're only making 200 and they at least I think it was 200 and they sold those out rather quickly. So there's at least a, a market for a several hundred of these games. Is that not enough to worth their while, maybe? But then if they develop a topper, you know how people love toppers? It sold all the Pulp Fiction Ellie's because of the topper. So I think they could honestly sell a thousand of every Williams game that was a DMD from the 90s if they tried, regardless of what Doug thinks. So I think today it'd be fun to look at the DMD games, because he said from that era, so I assume that era means the 90s and DMD, and see what you guys think, what would be a good remake candidate. You can see here I've compiled this very technical uh, spreadsheet for you guys to look at. The yellow ones are obviously games that have already been produced by CGC. And I have them ranked currently in pin side top 100, kind of best to worst. Do you think the holdup with Doug is he doesn't want to have to license anything? That would make sense to me because if you look at all the games available... There's only a few that are unlicensed, and I think it's kind of a myth that people think, oh, the Williams days, it was the best of the unlicensed pinball games. But quite honestly, the licensed ones kind of sold just as well, if not maybe even better. I mean, think of the number one selling games, The Addams Family, 20,270 units that was licensed. Just food for thought. All right, let's look at number two on the list, Twilight Zone, not made. They've made 15,000 plus originally, and it currently goes for $10,495, or actually... The price is the median asking price, so it's not necessarily the sale price. But there was 128 listings in the last 12 months, according to Pinside. So Twilight Zone turns over a lot. It's the most on this list, but still commands over $10,000. So no-brainer to remake that game. Next one down, number five, Indiana Jones and the Pinball Adventure. Another game that sells for a premium. This is actually the highest price game that hasn't been remade yet. 13500 average asking. Again, another licensed game. There's a movie coming out. It might be harder to get this license. By harder, I mean cost more money because it's a hot property right now. 
Plus, Mark Ritchie is also hot again, right? He's in the news. He's in the headlines. You open up your local newspaper. It says, Mark Ritchie, he's back. Pulp Fiction teams up with Quentin Tarantino to develop, I mean, co-develop Perfect Pinball Machine. And also to note, the first two there, uh, Twilight Zone and Indiana, are both wide bodies. I don't think that's a hiccup or a hindrance to them making a game, but it is to note that it does have to uh, use a little bit more materials, might cost a little bit more than people are used to paying for these CGC remakes. But still, no matter what they do, I guarantee, I guarantee without knowing anything about CGC that their price will be less than a stern LE. Number six on this list, another one I think could be remade, all day and every day, The Addams Family. 72 listings in the last year and $11,000 average ask. That's still higher than Pulp Fiction LEs sold for, 9500 on that one. So they would have no problem selling The Addams Family. They could sell another 5000 probably. Then we get to Theater of Magic. 9300 average asking there. Now we're getting closer to the market equilibrium on what the game CGC could sell it for and what this would go for. And if they're scared of that, why? History shows people will just sell the originals and get the new games for the added ugh, RGB light enhancements. I could also get on board with the XL DMD and the color DMD. Plus, it's a brand new game, and you saw the LE warranties on these things are two years, so people just like that peace of mind. And there's only 6,600 of them out there. How many are left? 3,000? All right, number eight on the list, another John Papaduke game, Tales of the Arabian Nights. 12,000 average asking on this one. Another no-brainer. These are unlicensed games, too. Theater of Magic, Tales from the Arabian Nights. So if I was a betting man, if they're going to do another remake and they don't want to license and they don't want to go wide body, it seems like Tales of the Arabian Nights would be the next one to do. Am I wrong for thinking that? Okay, then we go down to Star Trek The Next Generation and the price plummets to $6,700. Now this one would be a tough sell, right? We got to license the, the property. We've got to make a wide body and there's currently 11,000 plus out there and a low asking price. If I was in charge of CGC, I would wait and see on this one. I've got other games that are better, and since they make a game every three years, so in a decade, this game might be worth it to remake, but right now, I think it's one you hold. Number 10 is Scared Stiff, and I say yes. Tim Kitzrow, yes. Get him while he's alive. I know he's not that old, but still. Get him while he's alive so he can sign your translate, and they only made 4,000 of these. With an asking price of 97.50, that's right in line with what you sell the new games are, and we all know the new games are better. Plus, the new Elvira is 10500 right now and selling well. So why not? Complete the trilogy, get two new games right now for less than $20,000. I don't know. Dennis Nordman, also hot. Another game by him, Scared Stiff. So I think no-brainer, uh, taking number 10 and remaking it. Number 11, another Papa Duke favorite, Circus Voltaire. Didn't sell well initially, only 2700 units. Currently goes for a premium 11000 I would be cautious on this one. I don't think it would be a major seller. But it is one I would remake, because I guarantee you could get a thousand people to buy these. We have to define what is it worth for CGC to make it. Is a thousand units a success? Uh, on the Loser Kid podcast, the interview with um, Butch Peel, they said Pulp Fiction met their goals in the first day of sales. So I don't know what their goals were. If it was just to sell 1,000 LEs, they met their goals there at Play Mechanics. So I assume CGC's goals are similar to Play Mechanics' goals, because they're kind of like partners at this point so is the ringmaster worthy i think so then we get to my personal favorite white water eight thousand average ask yeah you know but those ramps are probably beat up lots of plastic ramps lots of old parts on this game be great to have a new one seven thousand of them out there could use another seven thousand come on cgc doug 
Let's make this one. 13, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Another one. Yeah, you could do it. That game is maybe not as good as Whitewater, according to this ranking, but almost there. Similar sales, similar price. Why not? The only negative is the designer of this game. Would he somehow tarnish people from buying it? I don't think so. It's not like they're going to have him autograph the translates from his prison cell. So just never mention John Trudeau. And I think he'd sell another thousand easy with these. Then 14, The Shadow. This is a tougher sell, right? You got to license this game. Currently only going for 6,300. Brian Eddy's first game. Brian Eddy, right? You know, he releases Mandalorian. He releases Stranger Things, so he's a designer that's still making games. I mean, hell, we're still remaking his Medieval Madness and Attack from Mars. So I guess it would only make sense to remake The Shadow because then all his games would, in theory, be in production, and that'd be kind of cool. If I'm driving the bus, I don't think I remake it right away. That's a, that's another down-the-road one like Star Trek The Next Gen. Then we move on to number 15, Bram Stroker's Dracula. Barry Osler favorite here. 5,100 average sale, kind of low. Almost 7,000 of these in production. I think you pass on this one. You got to license it as well. Um, if you only want to sell 500, yeah, go ahead and make it. But over 500 might be a tough sell for Bram Stoker's Dracula. No Good Gophers at 16. I love this game. I love the theme. My dad's a big golfer. Even though he doesn't play pinball, I always think of him with this game. If like there's one game to get him into pinball, it'd be if I just sneak this in his basement. Pat Lawler game. It's a really fun game. The better version of Toy Story 4. Just saying. $5,500, only $2,700 made, so low production. But I still think this one you hold off on. It's unlicensed, so you could remake it rather cheap. The demand just might not be there. Would it sell 500? Of course. I think, I don't know if any of these wouldn't sell a bare minimum of 500, but we shall see here. Number 17, the Getaway High Speed 2. Ooh, Steve Ritchie at his prime. A lot of sales, though, 13,200 and not a high price, 4,600 asking. This one, unlicensed as well, so cheaper to make, but will the demand be there? Well, if we get some shiny new beacons, I bet that hot pinball action would sell. 500 but i'm gonna hold it as well indy 500 now we're kind of getting at number 19 to the rest of these games where i i, I don't know some people like indy 500 i'm not a big fan of it 5500 it's not that high a price but low production so the rarity factor might make it worth it I wouldn't do it. Plus, it is a licensed theme. Roadshow. Hey, we put Rudy on the playfield and that sold well. So let's put two heads in a country song. That's Roadshow in a nutshell. That game took me a year to warm up to of playing it in tournaments. I do enjoy the game now, but I just couldn't get into the theme and I don't know. Uh, $51.99 surprisingly goes for a lot of money. In my head, Roadshow is a $3,000 game all day, but I guess not. Relative success at $6,200 mid. I would hold off on doing Roadshow, personally. Judge Dread, Don't move. Yeah, another John Trudeau game. I think you don't even bother with this. It's wide body, it's licensed. Eh, move on. Congo. Yeah, Congo, John Trudeau again at number 22. But this is a fun game. This would sell well if they remade it. Only 2129 made with a price creeping up on $7,000. The license has got to be dirt cheap by now. So I say go ahead and make Congo. 23, Fishtails. How big was it? Or I don't know, something like that's the call out. Uh, yeah, go ahead and make this. Like, remember, Mark Ritchie's hot right now. He made this game, make the fishtails. 5,800 seems high for the average ask. Again, this is one of those games I feel like is a $4,000 game, but my brain might be stuck in the past. A lot of these in the market, but it's a timeless theme and it's a fun game and a good layout. So go ahead and make this, I say. This brings us to number 24, Champion Pub, a favorite of Johnny Pinball. I do like playing this game. And look at this, everything CGC likes, low production numbers, 
relatively high selling price. $7,500, only $1,300 made. Go ahead and make Champion Pub, because I say it should it deserves to be remade. Plus, it has the pop-up ball save, and we know how cool and in vogue that is right now. GTF! It's got one of their own, copying uh, Champion Pub, which I'm sure wasn't the first time that was used. Number 25, World Cup Soccer. I mean, Tim Kitzrow at his best, don't you think? I think this game is a great game. It's a family-friendly game. It's easy to understand, and it's only $4,500, so probably not going to remake this one. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. It's a good layout. It's a good game. Rolling in the DMD era, a lot of them sold. Relatively low price now, but I never see it anywhere. It's a licensed game. So that's a little bit of cost, but I think that increases its popularity. And I actually think you could sell a bunch of these if you remade it. Might be a good candidate for a little code polishing on this one, but uh, the original is just fine too. 27, Doctor Who. It's a fun game. Uh, the license, while it's the old Doctors, it's still a relative theme. It might be kind of costly. But the price at $5,200, it's medium. 7,700 sales. I mean, that's medium as well. I think I would hold off on it though. I always see a lot of Doctor Who's around, even though this is quite contrary. It says only 35 listings this year. So what do you guys think? Should Doctor Who be remade or is that one you do later or maybe never johnny pinball i mean johnny pneumonic yeah of course you got to remake my game that glove just polish that glove and hit those touch tones and who knows download your data into my brain 4200 oh man that's really a 9200 game in disguise guys put that le on top there it'll be number one before you know it and number 29 junkyard 16 listings i think uh we don't need to say anymore this would sell only 16 listings in a year if you've been looking for a junkyard, you probably don't have a junkyard. I'm guessing that $5,900 uh, average ask might scare away CGC, but again, 16 listings. Barry Osler's last game. I think you do it. Then finally rounding out the top 30 here, Black Rose. Yar, be warned. Uh, I say no. I, before even looking at it, I don't find this game that enjoyable. Plus, we have Godfather now with the same return ramp, so I'll get my fix for that. But, you know, they've got 25 other games that are better on this list to remake. That's kind of all I got. What do you guys think? Is Doug Duba crazy? Is Butch Peel right? Is CGC only going to make original themes now? All that and more on the next episode of the Totally Pinball Podcast. And like I said earlier, find me on YouTube. Johnny Pinball's the name. Pinball content's the game. You stay classy, Pinside. See you on the next one. Take it away, Kimberly.
Look at these pretty lights. Woohoo! I'm going to play me a pinball machine.